Hola, buenos dias, when in Spain listeners. Yes, Wednesday again, and a warm welcome to episode number 17. Yes, that's right. You're listening to the When in Spain podcast show. I'm Paul Burge speaking to you from Madrid. A warm welcome. If you're new to the When in Spain podcast, thanks for listening. Hope you continue to listen. And to all the regular listeners out there, welcome back. So in this week's episode, I speak to Ben and Marina, Ben Curtis and Marina Diez from the Notes in Spanish podcast series and the Notes from Spain podcast. Some of you may already be familiar with Ben and Marina and their podcasts. If you're not, a quick heads up. Ben and Marina were really um, pioneers of uh, Uh, podcasting about Spain and started way back in about 2005 uh, with a podcast series called Notes from Spain. It was a a travel guide, a look at Spanish culture. In various episodes, they go out and about around Spain, talking about their experiences and what they can see and hear. And they're still available online uh, as podcasts uh, today. Um, So if you haven't heard them, uh, really worth Uh, checking them out. And following on from Notes from Spain, about a year later in 2006, they started a podcast series called Notes in Spanish. And this is a language learning podcast series for learning Spanish, uh, which I used uh, quite a lot. Uh, Really good quality uh, podcast if you're looking to improve your Spanish. Um, They produce series for all different levels from beginners right through to advanced. And you hear Ben and Marina who, uh, by the way, are husband and wife. Uh, Marina is Spanish and Ben is from the UK. By coincidence, from uh, my hometown almost as well, from Oxford or Oxfordshire. But in the podcast, you hear the two of them uh, speaking in Spanish and discussing various topics. Really useful uh, podcast if you're looking to learn Spanish. So available online, uh, go and check them out. So I started listening to Ben and Marina way back years ago when I was still living in the UK. And I guess to some extent, they formed sort of part of the inspiration behind uh, me wanting to move to Madrid and Spain as well. So uh, when I used to listen to notes from Spain, it was a it was a form of escapism on those horrible uh, winter commutes to work. And again, learning Spanish as well. Um, I used uh, a lot of their materials. They both uh, still live, well, not in Madrid anymore, but near Madrid. And I caught up with them uh, last week in the centre, uh, sitting next to Spain's Opera House. And we talked about how Spain has changed in the last 20 years, uh, their observations, the things that they still really enjoy about life in Spain. And we touched on podcasting and many, many other things as well. Uh, So if you haven't heard from Ben and Marina for a while, here they are. So I'm here with Ben Curtis and Marina Diez sitting next to the uh, Madrid's Opera House, having a cup of coffee. Thanks ever so much for joining When in Spain podcast. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Very happy. Fellow podcasters as well. Just to give you a bit of background, I was a huge fan of Notes from Spain way back when you first started producing that. And then I learned a lot of Spanish through your podcast series uh, 
notes in Spanish as well. So it's really lovely to actually meet you in the flesh, face to face. Tell us a bit about your background, um, how you came to be in Madrid, how you met each other. I mean, a lot of people who are familiar with, with you probably maybe know a bit of the story already, but what's the sort of journey been so far? Well, I can tell you, I suppose, how I ended up in Madrid. Marina's from Madrid, so that's easy. <laughs> I'm obviously from the UK, but um, I was living in London for three years uh, in my mid-twenties, early mid-twenties, and thought if I spent another winter in London, I might jump into the Thames. <laughs> so I'd always wanted to spend a year abroad, um, living abroad somewhere, and I thought, well, I think I'd better go and teach English. That would be the best way to do it. So I sent an email to, um, or phoned up in those days, I can't remember, it wasn't, <laughs> it was 1998, probably phoned up Madrid, um, Barcelona and Paris, uh, international house schools saying, can I do a TEFL course? And Madrid wrote back first saying, um, you can start in two weeks. So I said, wow. Madrid it is, basically. <laughs> could have been in Paris or we could be sitting in Paris now, but yeah, it was Madrid. So I came September 98 to do a TEFL course, thinking I'd stay for a month in Madrid uh, and leave after I'd done the course to go somewhere else in Spain by the sea. I always wanted to live by the sea. And um, at the end of the month they offered me a job. So that was the first year. <laughs> then I said I'm going to leave Madrid now. Uh, and then I met Marina. And that was the end of that, <laughs> 20 years ago. So. so you were teaching English. But then you, after a few years, you decided to start podcasting. Tell us a bit about that. I was working at a, an expat newspaper called In Madrid and uh, writing articles. And uh, a friend who was working there said, do you know what a podcast is? This was in 2005. Or he wrote me an email saying, do you know what a podcast is? So I quickly looked it up online. And it was like, ah, oh, you can make your own radio programs. So, and I investigated a bit and wrote back saying, yes, I know just what a podcast is. <laughs> I'm happy to help set one up for In Madrid newspaper. So, as well as doing a few episodes with him for that, I started doing my own called Notes from Spain. And uh, took a few episodes to get Marina involved. To begin with, she wouldn't go near the microphone. She would run and hide. Yeah. And so, yeah, we just started making kind of, it's like a travel, cultural show about Spain, basically, in English. I loved it. Fantastic. For me, those sort of grim winter nights commuting backwards and forwards in London, it was like a sort of escapism for me. It was like transported me to, to Spain. I used to, I used to love listening to it. And then you did one episode one day in Spanish. And was that the kind of catalyst for starting... Yeah, it was. Uh, ben decided to do a trip to, to India, a motorbike trip, and part of it, uh, it was like a charity trip, so he wanted to, to get some, some donations for the trip. So we decided to, what can we do? We talk about it, and, and then we decide we could do the same in Spanish and see how it went. We, we, we didn't know. Uh, if it was going to be of any interest at all, so we did 30 episodes in one month, in one month, one a day, and, and because we had already uh, the the English podcast, 
uh, we had all, all, already a few listeners, but it went down very well. And after finishing that month, uh, we didn't want to stop it. And people were asking, are you going to stop the, the podcast? And that, that's when we decided to to give it a, a, like a different approach and, and use it to, to teach Spanish. For those of you listening, it's a really good resource for learning Spanish, I must say. I used it a lot. You've just recently added some more episodes to it, so it's still going. Any plans to revive notes from Spain, anything like that? We'll see, we'll see. Ben, you've been here, what, 20 years, and Marina, you're... I was born in Madrid and I was raised in Madrid and I've always lived here. Yeah. Yeah. What for you, Marina, has changed the most, do you think, in the last 20 years, let's say, for argument in Madrid? Well, when, when I first met Ben, Madrid was like a very local, local city. It wasn't so cosmopolitan as it is now. I remember we lived in Lavapiés from, from, I think it was the end of 2000. And it was like you could find there like the tailor and the guy that mended the watches in the corner shop. And it was all local, small shops. And then from one day to another, we, it was like that. We went for a, for a week to Asturias, I, I, I seem to remember. Only one week, and when we came back, there were already like two or three Indian restaurants in Calle Lavapiés, and that was the one we used to live. And it was like that. From, from one day to another, suddenly lots of uh, uh, immigrants started coming to, to Lavapiés, and... and the quarter changed slowly but steadily to what it is now, like a very international community and full of restaurants from India or from Morocco or from many, many other places. But the, for me, the most interesting change has occurred in the last five or six years, or it's more recent, uh, more than anything, and is that Madrid is now a really cosmopolitan city. Com- before, like Barcelona was way ahead, Madrid, yeah. and now they could be more or less uh, on the same level. There's lots of tourism in in Madrid right now. You can see all of these forms of transport that, uh, yeah, uh, we saw a different one today, like with uh, like a little scooter, but with very wide wheels, very very wide uh-huh. wheels. A few years ago, uh, Madrid uh, restaurants were very basic, simple places with good food, with good simple food, like good uh, uh, ingredients, but simple dishes. And now it's a totally different thing. Like the restaurants are much more, they have much more details, the decorations are are much um, better, much more looked after and also the dishes are like much more creative and more international as well and and for me that's the uh, the biggest uh, point now no in the last five years is all of these restaurants that could be you could be in london sometimes mm-hmm. you you go into a restaurant and you feel the same yeah. atmosphere so yeah. yeah i agree it's a lot more cosmopolitan than I guess it was 20, 30, 40 years ago and I think you're right because I don't know I always had the feeling that Madrid was somewhat overlooked if you compare it to Barcelona you know certainly I think from a lot of Brits point of view maybe or Americans or people when they think of Spain they think Barcelona Barcelona is a sort of major city break destination and Madrid not so much but now it's changed I think a lot more tourism in Madrid Yeah, and it's changed a lot it's it's got a great impact in the 
prices of uh, of uh, renting houses as well because mm -hmm. it's gone up a lot. Yeah. So it's got its good its good part and, <laughs> <laughs> and its disadvantages yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, ben, what about for you when you first arrived here back in '98? Um, now, when you walk around the centre of Madrid, what for you has changed the most in terms of the city or the identity of the city or I don't know, the culture, the people I don't know, has society changed in any ways in the 20 years? I think Madrid's a bit busier I think it used to feel more provincial and quiet, that's for sure, but that's not necessarily to do with the tourism and so on, I think it might have something to do with Spain in general, just sort of slipping more into the kind of maybe UK or American way of doing things and business. I mean, being sort of more busy in general, yeah. and um, but still, you know, the things we're talking about sound kind of negative. A lot of them, but for me, Madrid still got a very, very magic. The same magic feel it still had 20 years ago. You know, the the beautiful streets and the the, the sort of quieter neighbourhood. Well, quieter the le the less central neighbourhoods like. Lavapiés, Malasaña, that kind of area are still just wonderful to wander around. There's still lots of kind of uh, real bars, as I call them, or, or cafes, you yeah. know, and restaurants that you can have a drink or a menu del día or something. So, on the other hand, the other day I walked, walking into near Moncloa, or, or right by Moncloa, uh, I saw a Taco Bell had opened and I was just uh, like okay that, we, we can stop now globalisation <laughs> it's okay we don't need to go any further that's it <laughs> just let, hold it right there you know? just as we were meeting earlier we saw in the Opera House they've put a Starbucks yeah. cafe in there which is quite surprising really yeah. but anyway a friend of mine very good friend uh, called Mike he uh, used to live in Zaragoza and he said it's probably about eight nine years ago Ten years, maybe. Um, Madrid started getting Starbucks, and all of us living in Madrid were thinking, "This is scandalous." You know, who who did this? Um, in fact, I met someone once who said, "My boyfriend's the person responsible for bringing Starbucks to Madrid." But and I was like, really? well, "Where is he?" Want a word with him? I want a word with him. But anyway, in Zaragoza at the time, they were very upset that no one wanted to open a Starbucks in Zaragoza. So the, really? the big, they had this big thing of the residents of Zaragoza started up a petition to get Starbucks to open a branch in Zaragoza. <laughs> so, petition, seriously? Yeah. So while wow. you know, while people like me want Madrid to sort of stay fixed as it always was yeah. I think there's a part of the Spanish population that loves you know the fact that in some of a lot of the areas I'm talking about Malasaña or you know there's a lot of bars now that look like they could have come straight out of London you know yeah or or New York or something you know sort of I suppose, could you say that Spanish people are sort of wrestling with the tradition but also wanting to be part of a sort of globalised, modern world as well? Is that fair to say? I don't know. I, I guess it is. I guess it is. But it's, it's nice to see that you can still find both. Uh, you find those new chic bars and restaurants, mm. but you also find, like the old, you can find the old uh, typical restaurant with a nice menu del dia mm. or a typical bar with nice tapas, very simple, which are the ones that Ben likes to find with that friend of his that used to live in Zaragoza <laughs> with yeah. Mike. Uh, and, and they love them as well. So, in a, in a sense, you can still uh, enjoy a mixture of both worlds. Yeah. And yeah. that's nice. That's 
very special, I think. I think so, because if you compare somewhere like Madrid with London, you go to London, it's all really chains of bars and restaurants and pubs now. There's very hardly any independent uh, businesses, really. And if they are, they're kind of, in a sort of ironic way, you know, if there's no greengrocers, it'll be like two pounds for an orange, you know. Um, but in from your point of view, I, well, both of you, in sort of 20 years, has... Spanish society changed anyway? Have any things become more or less important? Family? Um, has there been any sort of major social changes which you've that have been sort of tangible um, during your time here? Or, or maybe there hasn't, maybe it's not. Hmm, what do you think? <laughs> well, the family is still central to the Spanish way of life. Uh, it's true that people uh, are moving from their uh, original towns more and going into into other places to to find a better job. So there is more disconnection with the family, and um, maybe what is more confusing now is that in Spain you used to have like the what we call horario partido, like people would stop uh, at lunchtime, go home, have lunch, and come back to work. But because cities are now bigger and and the, also sometimes companies work uh, in communication with other countries where they work uh, in in a I don't know what you call it in in a continuous timetable they yeah. don't stop for lunch. So now uh, people working in in Spanish companies have a lot of demand because they need to be. Uh, in communication with other countries and they are there for most of the day sometimes having a sandwich on the desk but then they don't go home at 5 or or 5.30 like people do in the UK or in the northern, in the European northern countries so I think that's uh, something that uh, is had a a bad impact in, in in the working life and in the in the in the way that uh, people can be with their families because it's true that before uh, maybe uh, parents were out until eight o'clock but they would have like a three-hour period at lunch where people even the kids would come back from school everyone had lunch together Mm. and then if they went to their schools or back to their works and now the timetables are crazy And and people, some people really struggle to to uh, keep up with work and family. As, yeah, it's uh, uh, sort of reconciling. Still, quite long working hours yeah. and you know, busy family life as well. Yeah. Um, ben, anything you wanted to add to that? Any observations? Um, from your point I think a lot of this we're talking about is Madrid. If yeah, you truly. if you go out to um, small towns, then the pace is completely different you know yeah. I remember being very struck years ago maybe 10 years ago by the difference a silly thing difference between say London and Madrid in the kind of cars people drive and about 10 years ago suddenly there was a boom in BMWs in Madrid you know and it, I suddenly thought I, lots of people were driving at yeah, Porsche cars, cars. Uh-huh. suddenly yeah. suddenly you know now there's lots of the, the big Porsches and so on and Still, London's got far more Ferraris and, and <laughs> yeah. Daimlers and things like that. But, you know, there was a notable boost in the sort of standard of living in Madrid. And this was also about the time there was the big financial crisis in Spain. And 
you'd walk around some of the streets in Madrid and say there's no financial crisis here. You know, Madrid was doing really well and, and still seems to be, you know. Uh, and so what we're talking about, these crazy timetables and stuff, I imagine if you go to Segovia, even, you know, yeah. 60 kilometers yeah. from here. Provincial uh, cities uh, do still live at a different pace and probably they stop for lunch, they go home, yeah. they rest for a bit and then they go back to work. Yeah, yeah. surely. Yeah. So it's more the big cities. So yeah, a lot of it's kind of Madrid or Barcelona, which are kind of more crazy than they used to be for sure, basically. Yeah. And in Madrid, a lot more tourism in the centre as well. I think there's the uh, maybe the Airbnb effect and yeah. the cheap yeah. flights. After being here for 20 years, is there anything after all this time that you still miss from back home in the UK? Only the weather when it's still 33 degrees at the end of September and I've had enough and I want autumn. <laughs> but you can have it all. You can have the, the, the cool weather in the summer and the, sh the sun shining in the winter that yeah. you want. So. <laughs> no, I mean, for example, I, that's the only thing I can think of that I ever wake up and think, oh, I wish, was we were in the UK at the end of August and it, the weather was just starting to turn and you thought, oh, here comes autumn and how yeah. nice, you know, the conkers will be falling from yeah. the trees. And so my sort of natural body clock started thinking that way and then we got back to Madrid and a month later it's still incredibly hot, yeah. you know. So, I mean, that doesn't really bother me because I'm used to it now, but... Uh, apart from missing anything in the UK, apart from family and and the greenness of the landscape, yeah. sometimes yeah. not really. No, no, no. How about you? No, I'm the same. I think this is probably the first year that I've felt it. That slight, slight yearning for the noticeable change in seasons, like you were just saying, especially with autumn, you get that that smell in the air. I don't know what it is that you know winter's coming. Uh, the sort of damp smell of yeah. the leaves yeah. that have fallen from the trees on the ground other than that i i don't know because i'll, I'll end up wheeling out the usual cliches that um you know bureaucracy certain things that may be easy to get done in england blah 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 but let's not let's not go down that road but other than that they're no, not really and the obvious things like friends and family spanish tv mm. i prefer british tv but then that's not an issue because you can watch Nowadays you can watch whatever you want, but through the internet here anyway. So I would I would have said, you know, BBC or uh, Channel Four or something like that. <laughs> ben, do you think like having lived in Spain for twenty years has changed you in any way? Would you be any kind of different personality, or would be a slightly different person had you stayed in the UK and never come to live in Spain? Do you think, or is it impossible to say? I'm sure it's impossible to say. <laughs> that that's for sure. There's no doubt about that. But. I don't know. I mean, I met once a. Um, I actually met once a Zen monk who was French and had lived for many much of his life in New York, and I met him here in Spain. And he heard that I'd lived here for a very long time, and he said, "Ah, this is like a, a very deep practice, you know, a very deep experience. You know, it changes you, you know, because you are kind of. I guess you're always living from a slightly external point of view." Although that diminishes over time, for sure, you end up feeling like much more like a Madrileño, I think, after a long time. So, yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, if I've ended up a Madrileño instead of an Oxford person, an Oxford. then I, I guess there's, I would, if I was in the UK, I'd still be an Oxford person, I guess, yeah. or a London person. I was going to sort of follow up with that. Do you feel like a bit of an outsider now when you go home? You feel more like 
a Spanish person than a, than a British person. I don't yeah. know. A taxi it's driver uh, cheated on him in London a couple of years ago or four or five years ago because he <laughs> thought he was a foreign. You remember? <laughs> yeah, but I, that's because I, I think that's because I was with you and I think he, you might have said something and he thought, oh, you know, it's an accent and he drove an incredibly roundabout route to go from A to B. And wow. I realised we'd been ripped off by a London black cabbie and I thought, hang on a minute, I'm British. Yeah, <laughs> I'm British. I'm British. I used to live in London. I used to live here. <laughs> this, this is, something's gone wrong. <laughs> but no, I feel um, it's very odd. Yeah, when I go back to London, for example, to see my sister and I'm wandering around, I feel like a tourist <laughs> in my own country. I feel like a sort of incognito spy because I'm kind of... Um, I don't look any different to any other British person, I don't yeah. think, but I feel completely removed and different. You know, I'm, I'm surprised by the strange things on, you know, that they're selling. And yeah. the other day I had in, uh, went to an Israeli restaurant in Stoke Newington in London with my sister and her friend. And uh, there was halloumi, is it halloumi? Halini? Halloumi, halloumi cheese. cheese on the menu. And I said, um, excuse me, what's halloumi? And, and my sister's <laughs> friend was like, what you know? Where, what, what's, you don't know what that is. And I was like, I, I live somewhere else where they don't have that. You know, so it's kind of, and you know, she just thought I was, I don't know, a bit mad or something. You know. So yeah, yeah. I feel that's a bit like a tourist in my own country. Yeah. yeah. Which is quite an interesting point of view. Yeah. I quite enjoy it actually. Yeah. yeah. I quite yeah. like it. Sort of incognito. I don't know. But then people could talk to me about. British politics or what's on TV and I haven't got a clue what they're talking about so it's a bit odd your very first podcast um, notes from Spain and your blog and then uh, your book Heron to Iberia and uh, other things you've produced since always sort of had um, an element of encouraging people to come and try Spain come and come and live in Spain would you still encourage people to come and try Spain as somewhere to settle down and live whether it be for a year or two or whether it be for 20 years uh, like you uh, of course it's wonderful yeah like I think it's a very easy place to go and live, you know, compared to, I don't know, Bangkok or somewhere where you've got all sorts of other barriers. I don't know that, you know, the, the, I think it's a wonderful place to live. Yeah, I would absolutely encourage it. I think life is wonderful here still. You know, all of the, the Taratha lifestyle and the yeah. tapas and, and the weather and the, the landscapes and, you know, the, yeah. I could go on and on and on. It's, yeah. it's all fantastic. So, yeah. But, it, but you know, don't just come because I said that and then blame me. <laughs> <laughs> I would totally agree with you. I think the great thing with Madrid is you've got all of Spain almost on your doorstep, really, because you're in the centre and you, you get to any corner of Spain fairly quickly and easily. Um, and Spain is very different from one thing to another. Exactly. So you have the mountains, the beach and the green and the desert. You, you have yeah. everything, really. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I, can I can I ask a question to Marina? Actually, I went to say earlier when you said has Spain changed me over the twenty years? I thought we should ask her because she's, she's known me for nineteen years of them, and I want to hear her answer. <laughs> Put you on the spot now. <laughs> I would say you have probably changed. Yes, yes. The, I think the English education is very individualistic, and and probably the Spanish education is heading in that direction too. But in our uh, school time, uh, I think it was, uh, we were very focused in the community and, and 
which has his, its disadvantages as well, because maybe you don't learn to look after yourself and take care of yourself uh, properly, mm. and it's something I have, I have had to learn in adult uh, years. But uh, I think uh, Ben has changed a lot on that. He was much more individualistic. Selfish. <laughs> Selfish. <laughs> I think that's I what she's call it selfish if you like, but I wouldn't use that. I didn't use that word. You can use it if you like. It's like a trend. It's, it wasn't only you. It's, it's, and it wasn't. I, I wouldn't. I don't think selfish is the word because you can be more or less selfish. But the culture itself is more individualistic. It's mm. more I, and I've been educated mm. much more in the community we. and we and right. us as a as a group and as a family or as a group of friends yeah. or I, um, I have an example of that is that I think me originally and also other English people relatives of mine and friends I've known that have come to Spain initially have had a real problem with sharing plates of food oh, yeah. you know it's like I want my own plate of food at a meal time this whole business of raciones that you put in the middle and everyone shares you know it was it's kind of it, that was not a very British thing you know and of course you get used to it and it's wonderful but I remember <laughs> one person friend or relative saying I want my own plate yeah. of food <laughs> really? and, and he stated it and I probably thought it a million times yeah, you know yeah, and, and, uh, yeah, yeah. and he lives in Spain now and probably yeah. enjoys sharing his Share food yeah. as sure. well yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's sure. it's so true I can remember listening to the podcast where you talked about that um, and it's true I, I for me at the beginning it was different um, it's quite nice sharing yeah but I think we are as it's very much this is my plate I've got my meat my carbohydrates and my vegetables yeah. and it's all mine and don't anyone dare stick a fork in it and think no some way. of it's for them no yeah. way I saw uh, while we were uh, waiting to meet you mm. earlier in the in Opera Square uh, three ladies came out of the metro three old ladies uh, holding each other's arm the three of them in a line and I thought that image was very Spanish and yeah. you wouldn't find that in the UK unless your your legs couldn't sustain you like people would are more proud like I can do it <laughs> I, I'm, I can I can support myself on yeah. my own so yeah. that, that, was, that, is a, that is a classic image actually of Spain yeah do people who decide to up sticks and leave their home homeland home country to go and live in another country is there a particular type of person that decides to do it do you have to be a particular type of person to a type of mindset to be able to do it or can anyone do it that's a good question uh, i think there's a mindset of um perhaps wanting to explore of maybe dissatisfaction with where you are and thinking there might be something more interesting of um uh escapism perhaps um, I don't know what, yeah. what do you think I don't think you can pigeonhole everyone I mean, there's so many different types of personalities and people that do end up living in foreign countries by their own volition but I, I think I agree I agree that um, you have to have some kind of sense of adventure risk taking you have to be very open minded as well I think a lot of people will say it's quite a strange thing to do just to up and go and learn a new language embed yourself in well I think it depends it also depends on what your idea of moving to another country is as well because um, you know lots of people move to Spain don't bother to learn Spanish live in a kind of expat I hate the word expat but you know in a, in a, in a bubble 
only really speaking English, having minimal interaction with Spanish culture and sort of living on the periphery almost. And there are some people who throw themselves into it, you know, 100%, learn the language, have Spanish friends, have Spanish relationships with, with Spanish people, get married to Spaniards, etc., etc., all this kind of thing, and become sort of really embedded in the culture. So I think it depends to a great extent on how willing you are to, to integrate. I think, and that's, I think that's the key that's really important, I think. I mean, what, well, in the most basic sense, what's it like being married to a Giri? <laughs> but what I really mean is, what's it, like, what's it like having a sort of bicultural, bilingual relationship? On the one hand, I think it's a very uh, lucky, fortunate experience because you get to, uh, to be in another culture, not as a tourist, but as a inside a family, inside a group of friends, like from a different perspective. And that's a very interesting experience. On the other hand, uh, uh, there there are lots of uh, communication misunderstandings, (laughs) especially at the beginning. I think now we know each other very well after so many years together, but... uh, like sometimes I remember in the past, I, I, I couldn't pinpoint a, a, an example right now, but it certainly has happened several times that one said a thing and the other one understood something completely different and we had a, a massive uh, argument or, or uh, like uh, we, we were upset and then to discover later on that we meant the same maybe <laughs> or, or that we didn't understand properly uh, each other and, and we were on the same line so, so that's the most interesting the communication is because is, in a relationship you, the communication needs, needs to be effective and fast so also uh, when I met Ben, uh, he had been in, in Madrid for nearly a year, so he was quite fluent, but because I had been studying English for so many years, I had much more vocabulary than he did. So we used to mix both languages, which was, we had our, our own uh, Spanglish <laughs> of our own creation. <laughs> and and uh, well, there were lots of misunderstandings back then. Then when we had our first kid, we decided to stop doing that kind of communication. And now we communicate either in one language or the other. Yeah. Uh, how about for you, Ben? Um, yeah, no, it's very interesting. It's, it's, as Marina said, it's hugely enriching because, you know, you get inside another culture, you know. I mean, family lunches and things like that is... Uh, there's no quicker deeper learning experience than that you know and to begin with I I used to leave the lunches amazed and with a huge headache because of (laughs) the intensity of like conversation and me trying to keep up you know and so on to begin with and um, so yeah that's that's amazing to to see inside another culture from the inside so to speak as Marina said there were an awful lot of cultural misunderstandings that led to arguments and 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 that kind of dried up maybe five but I mean it took a long time you know it took maybe 10-15 years for us to iron out all of the cultural misunderstandings maybe not that much maybe not that much maybe those misunderstandings were more on the first five years then we had other 
like raising kids in with two different cultures is yeah, an adventure as well because yeah, yeah. uh, like for example here the timetables as you know are crazy in the summer the weather is very hot it gets dark very late and kids are out at 10 o'clock at night okay. you are in a terrace or later so uh, and for example kids in in the uk drop the sleeping uh, during the day very early but here they do uh, keep that for a, for a long time uh, really? yeah because that's the way you can have them out at night yeah, of course so so uh, like for Ben stopping in the middle of the day to to so our kid could could have a nap, mm. it was unthinkable. He it was yeah. it's taken us to have a second kid <laughs> to be able to manage that properly, because <laughs> it was like uh, it, it didn't he didn't maybe when when our kid was very little he could handle it, but after a while it was like what are we doing if we were like uh, traveling or so. We actually did have a, a mild argument recently about the ingredients of a paella. Do you remember? <laughs> and this was another example of one of these cultural misunderstandings, uh, sort of. I ordered an arrozabanda and said ah, it was yeah. a paella mixed. Okay, I yeah. Some like silly thing. Yeah. And Marina said, no, because this kind of paella has always got these ingredients. And it turned out that, in fact, is that in this restaurant they did it differently or something. But ah, okay. yeah. it's still kind of... Yeah, Ben was right. But it wasn't uh, like a rozabanda. Usually they, they cook it with the fish and they serve the rice and the fish on a separate plate. Uh, but in this restaurant, the rozabanda was just calamares, uh, squid and, and prawns rice. But, but because I didn't know the official rozabanda, because, you know, it's not in my cultural dictionary yet uh, it turned out to be a, a difficult moment <laughs> I say, a difficult, you know? moment. <laughs> well, a difficult <laughs> half an hour until we worked it out but that was still I was like I can't believe it you know nearly yeah. 20 years on we're still having a, a cultural yeah. altercation <laughs> that's, that's interesting after so many years yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think for me um, the, the difference in the, the emphasis on family life and the family here in Spain is something for me that I'm still adapting to um, because I come from a you know, very small family and uh, to suddenly be sort of find yourself in the middle of a large well um, in this case Spanish Latin American family and meal times and you know extended family and being at the center of all that is quite overwhelming at first but then lovely as well because if you're not used to it you feel like you're part of something much bigger um, which is great as well yeah easy question I hope for either of you favorite places in madrid and uh, doesn't have to be the city it could be in the comunidad de madrid it could be in the surrounding area uh ben mm, i like as i've said before marasaña these days a lot i like some of the old markets that have been turned into these kind of slightly um you know a lot of the old markets in madrid are having trouble carrying on just being markets so they're opening food stalls and, and restaurants in them there's one called Mercado de Valle Hermoso that I like very much um, there's the Mercado de Chambariz quite nice as well uh, I'm being introduced by a friend of mine to the to the area of Ch Chomp Ch Chambari which I didn't really know very well which is a great place to go out for tapas it's quite full of Spanish people it's, uh, it's nice um, I'm very fond of the Plaza de Olavide, which ah, is just yeah. to the north of Malasaña. 
so yeah, still, that's probably a few of my favourite places. The Retiro Park, sorry, that's, Marina's going to say that, but we, we always say that because it's just our favourite. Yeah. But the area around the Crystal Palace, where the Palacio de Cristal, yeah. which is um, much quieter, greener, lovely trees. So yeah, that's another favourite spot. How about you, Marina? Well, the trees in the park are amazing. I, I, I've, I've grown next to the park, so uh, I've always it's always been part of my life, and and it's like a number one place for me. Then, apart from all the the areas that Ben mentioned, I like the like the that atmosphere of all and new that you can find now and you can go from place to place go to the market and go to a bar outside not necessarily sit down and have a whole meal mm. but go from one place to another and, and I enjoy that quite a lot and to add something different uh, we like a lot going to walking in the in the Sierra of Madrid in the mountains nearby Madrid and there is a very nice place that we like uh, called uh, Casa Ochoa in Navacerrada and it's a very nice and very simple restaurant but it has a very nice terrace in the summer that when you go there is like 10 degrees less than, than in the city so it's like you can just go for a few hours and, and feel refreshed afterward. Yeah, good, good choices. Um, if, however, <laughs> you had to choose somewhere else in Spain to live, not Madrid. Where would you Where would you choose, and and why would you choose it? I'll start with you, Ben. San Sebastián, because that was the first place I ever stepped foot in mainland Spain, or the, the first place I stayed. Uh, nine months before I moved to Madrid, I went there for New Year's Eve, and loved it so much that I thought I have to come back and live in in Spain and we've been probably every year ever since we usually go there even just on the way to up to france or something like that but uh it's just it's a very very beautiful city surrounded by amazing countryside it's got wonderful beaches the food's incredible the people are friendly it's not you too can big walk everywhere as well yeah. this is the land of pinchos yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so i think I used to think Asturias, but I think it's, um, I think probably now San Sebastian, yeah, that'd be for me. And well, what about for you, Marina? As a city, it would be San Sebastian too. Yeah. It's called... Yeah. <laughs> what are you still doing here? <laughs> well, we thought it for a while. We I've got it. It's recorded. We, yeah. we <laughs> thought we thought about this for a while about renting a place like a little place a few years ago when prices were not so expensive. Because San Sebastian uh, 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 flats are really, really expensive. Um, and but it's a, it's fantastic because you can cycle everywhere. You the green is inside the city, the beach, yeah. but also it's got like these little hills and is you are next to France, so it's like uh, great in many ways. But uh, for me, if I had to go somewhere, maybe I would go to the Pyrenees, which is the place that I'm enjoying. Uh, we've been quite a lot recently and well every year at least and I don't know if I would live there all year round it could be probably quite solitary at some point in the winter but I'm enjoying the the views and the mountains and the the green as well and the walks a lot 
So it sounds like you're both looking for like rugged scenery and, 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 and lots of green yeah. landscapes. Yeah. Do you think that will ever happen in the future or too difficult to uh, say? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> we, I tried to get us to make a break for Asturias about 10 years ago before we had kids. And no, I think we had no... Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe when our, our first child was quite young, but... Um, yeah, we uh, we didn't make it. We we ended up back in Madrid. So you know we've got family here, friends here, community life. So it would be hard to abandon all that to go somewhere you knew no one. But perhaps when we're when the kids have left home, maybe that could be the time to make a change. We'll see. Last question, really, um, for any of the listeners to this who are familiar with you, will know about your podcast, previous podcast series, and you're added new episodes to uh, notes uh, in Spanish what are your future projects um, Ben I know that you quite a while ago started a blog called Being Happiness um, tell us a little bit about that it's, it's a very on and off project sometimes I, I sort of I actually stopped it a few years ago and then kind of revived it and then don't post anything for three months and then post something I'm considering a sort of book project based loosely around that it's all kind of about mindfulness and uh, happiness obviously uh, so we'll see there might there might be something in that but um, lots of me just the sensible part of me thinks just carry on doing notes in Spanish it's working very well we enjoy it and it pays the bills and, and importantly and don't mess with that too much by doing other things basically <laughs> well it's been a pleasure to meet you both Ben uh, Marina, thank you so much for talking to me on the When in Spain podcast. Thank you. Thank you, So that was Ben and Marina from Notes in Spanish. If you'd like to subscribe to their podcasts, you will be able to find them on all of the main podcast uh, channels under Notes in Spanish and Notes from Spain. And they also have a website, uh, notesinspanish.com, if you're interested in finding out more about their language learning materials. And if you'd like to find out more about the Notes from Spain podcast, uh, Ben and Marina's travels around the country, the website is notesfromspain.com. We also talked briefly uh, in the episode about Ben's uh, other project called Being Happiness which is about mindfulness, and the website for that is beinghappiness.com. So coming up on next week's episode, I'll be taking you on the high-speed Ave train up to Barcelona, and I'll be talking about public transport in Spain, how to explore the country, the cities, using public transport to its best, uh, how to find the best value tickets and the best travel options depending on what your plans are, looking at trains, planes, automobiles, uh, metro systems in various cities and some more alternative forms of transport and of course I'll be looking at tickets and prices. Also coming up, uh, something I feel a little bit uneasy about if I'm honest, um, I've been invited to go to a bullfight. Now, I've never been to one. I have seen snippets of bullfights on television uh, here in Spain. It's still very commonly televised. Yeah, for me, quite difficult viewing, if I'm honest. Um, I don't really like it. I think it, to me, seems pretty barbaric 
teasing and antagonizing uh, a wild animal for an hour or so before slaughtering it in front of crowds of people. Now, that's my opinion. And I respect that it is a very, still today, very deep-rooted Spanish tradition. Although um, I believe from talking to various people and friends here in Spain, it is becoming uh, more and more controversial. I think uh, people are more polarized about uh, the idea and the tradition and the art of bullfighting more today than they were maybe, you know, a few decades ago. Um, but anyway, uh, a friend of mine who is very, very, very much into tauromachia, as they call it here, um, bullfighting, has invited me to go with him to uh, see a few corridas, bullfights at uh, Las Ventas Bullring, uh, I believe the largest uh, bullring in Spain. So I have kind of reluctantly decided to agree to go. Because in order to really make your mind up properly, I guess, um, you know, you shouldn't really judge something, I suppose, without actually seeing it with your own eyes in the flesh. Um, pardon the pun. So I've decided to go. I don't think I'm really going to enjoy it. I don't know how long I'm going to necessarily stay. <laughs> um, but I'm going to go nonetheless. And I'm going to bring you guys sights and sounds and observations from a traditional Spanish bullfight. So if you enjoy this podcast, uh, do tell your friends and family and anyone else about it, colleagues, if you know other people who are interested in Spain and Spanish culture and the kind of things that you've heard on episodes so far. Uh, don't be shy. Um, I'm obviously be more than happy for you to share it. Uh, you can subscribe, obviously, and download the podcast. But you can also share it as well. Just another reminder, the When in Spain Facebook group is uh, there for you to uh, share ideas, photos, articles, uh, suggestions, anything you like about Spain or the podcast. And you can find the When in Spain Facebook group by searching on Facebook. The handle is at When in Spain. And on the When in Spain page, you can find a big blue button which will take you to the When in Spain group. Also, as I mentioned last week, uh, if you'd like to see photos of the people and places that I talk about uh, during the podcast episodes, you can find those on the When in Spain Instagram page. To find that, all you need to do is search When in Spain 1 on Instagram, When in Spain 1, and you will see lots of lovely photos from around Spain. So there we go. I think I'm going to leave it there uh, for this week. Thanks, as always, for listening. Have a fantastic week uh, in the meantime. And until next Wednesday, adios. Mm-hmm.